This week we talked to Dennis Julen, the Australian Speedway journalist. I hope you'll stay with us. This week on Inside Motorsport, we're joined by Dennis Newland, who has achieved one of his lifelong goals in his motorsport journalism career, and that is to join the team and speak with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network during the all-important month of May. Dennis, great to have you on the show and glad to have you back in the country. Yeah. Thanks very much, Craig. Um, uh, flew in on uh, last Friday. First few days, of course, uh, jet lag. Uh, apart from that side of it, a wonderful experience. And uh, you just mentioned there in your intro about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. Well, I can tell you a story about that, Craig. Um, when I was a young bloke, um, I had a shortwave radio. And as a youngster growing up, uh, I used to listen to the radio broadcast of the Indianapolis 500. Now, we, we are talking the 60s here, I might add, and I'll probably show my age as well here too. I always had a great interest in their radio network and um, in the days when the radio commentary team at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was headed up by uh, Sid Collins and there was a former driver, Freddie Agabation, who was part of the commentary team. And, and it was wonderful radio, uh, great sports commentary. And it, it just fascinated me to hear these people, these luminaries or icons, giving a radio broadcast of the Indianapolis 500. It captured not only my imagination, but of course my love of Speedway. And, and I thought one day I'd love to be... Uh, on that radio network, giving my viewpoint of the Indianapolis 500. And uh, I, I thought I had an opportunity in 1975 when I was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and uh, I had a media badge and I was determined to maybe try to get some involvement with the radio network way back then. And uh, I can remember trying to get uh, past the uh, Indy uh, Motor Speedway um, security official and i started to walk up the stairs to the radio station and he called me back and he said sorry your pass you are not allowed to go there uh, that is only for pre-arranged uh, guests or people who are involved in one form or another with the media and um i, I was terribly disappointed i mean that was even way back then in in 1975 my objective but I've got to tell you, Craig, as I realised it was not going to happen in 1975, I, I kind of made a pledge with myself. I thought, well, one day, one day I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Uh, I, I want to talk on the radio network at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Only took 44 years, I might add, but I, but I achieved it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I might and I might add that coverage on the network goes right throughout America. I think there's something like affiliate network stations, 400 take the broadcast right across America. Yep. Uh, Armed Forces Radio, so it goes right around the world as well. And it, yes, and that's what I used to listen to when I was a youngster on shortwave radio, the Armed Forces Radio and Television Network. That's exactly right. That was the... That was the provider or the broadcaster that, that 
um, was memed around the world. So uh, significant history here as well. And uh, I, I never ever realised one time this would actually one day this would actually happen. And uh, uh, it was a wonderful experience this year. Um, they gave me uh, good airtime, and not only that, it was a it was an interview from an Australian Speedway journalist viewpoint of what the Indianapolis 500, its history, and and what it really means to Australian followers. Um, the people there at the network were very gracious and very accommodating, and they gave me sufficient airtime to. To, to give a viewpoint, which uh, I really appreciated, Craig. Uh, I must uh, sincerely thank the network uh, manager, the radio network manager, Wally Leviat, who was so helpful to me and made me feel so welcome. Uh, it was, a, it, it was a, a bucket list tick in the box, Craig, no doubt, no doubt. It's you mentioned that your love of Speedway started at that very young age, and for people who do start in Speedway, the 500 is seen as the pinnacle race, and certainly yep. through the 60s, the 70s, it yep. was the career path of anyone who was an open wheel Speedway driver was That's to right. work through to eventually yep. get your IndyCar ride. Now this has changed, and one of the reasons why uh, Ed Carpenter is still one of the most popular drivers at yeah. the Indian Motor Speedway is because he was and and is potentially one of the last midget sprint car silver crown yep. races yep. that yep. has moved through the through the divisions. Yep, you're you're exactly right, Craig. Now look, the the point of all this is uh, the tradition of Indianapolis. Uh, you know, in those halcyon years, um, particularly the 40s, you know, the 50s, the 60s, um, it, it, it was a midget sprint cars uh, were definitely a correct um, uh, silver crown, a stepping stone to the Indy 500. And, of course, those famous Offenhauser Roadster cars, you know. And and, and the, the whole face of Indianapolis changed uh, when really ironically it was an Australian as we all know Sir Jack the late Sir Jack Braddon for three times world Formula Five uh, Formula One champion um, came to India in 1961 with a rear engine Cooper climax a car specially built for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway a lot of people scorned and laughed but when he finished ninth that year the laughing stopped. And then the following year, Dan Gurney out of California brought a couple of rear engine cars and went very well also. So the revolution was underway. So what we have now is a very strong overseas influence, very strong European influence. And you've got to look at it like this as well, Craig. In the, the, the old days, car builders like A.J. Watson would would design and build cars or, or build cars he had a midget chassis a slightly bigger chassis for a sprint car chassis and a slightly bigger chassis again for an offy roadster i mean they were the builders you'd, you'd start with a midget from aj watson you'd go to a sprint car you go to an offy roadster 
the game changed the game changed considerably in later years and people like AJ Watson um, were no longer uh, the builder of choice as far as an IndyCar is concerned. I mean, for a start, the motor went from the front to the back, which is about as radical for those kind of builders as you could ever get. Um, so, yes, you're right. Uh, the face of Indianapolis in over 55, 60 years has changed considerably. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we do... And, and, you know, here's a statistic for you. The winner this year was a Frenchman, Simon Paginot. Now... We talk a lot about the overseas influence. Well, it's 99 years since 1920 when another Frenchman, Gaston Chevrolet of the famous Chevrolet automobile brand, uh, won the Indianapolis 500. So even way back then, we had the influence of overseas drivers, but not to the significance or the presence or the mass numbers that we've had over more recent decades. But, you know, there's one point here, Craig. The Indianapolis 500 is still the Indianapolis 500. It is the greatest spectacle in racing, and you never lose the pageantry, the pomp, the ceremony, the tradition. doesn't matter what sort of car they're driving. This race, it was the 103rd running, and it is a very special event in the world of Speedway and, and in motorsport. The... Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network still holds true in its broadcast philosophy, and that is where they say the person who is watching the action calls the action, and it's something that is not prevalent in uh, coverage of motorsport and even yeah. coverage of some other sports that are yeah. spread over a yeah. large, a larger playing arena. Paul yeah. Page, who is on his second or third go round as the host of the uh, IMS Radio Network, he links everything together, but there is a person in each corner that actually calls the cars and calls what happens in the corner. They don't rely on the TV pictures. That's exactly right. You got it. And I I had, uh, I was very, very delighted. I was delighted to to meet Paul Page and we we, we had a, a, a very lengthy discussion about what you've just said how the radio broadcast paul page is a lovely man and and uh, he made me feel very welcome i was i was so pleased that um, i was able to spend some time with paul and you know the way they do that broadcast it is it is truly um phenomenal as you say they have they have uh, broad they have announcers around the track what turns one, turns two, three, and four, as well as the main commentary team located in the main straightaway. And it, look, it look, it's uh, you know, Howdy Bell was one of the regular regulars there over many years. And uh, look, look, it's just wonderful the way they do this. And to be a part of it this year, I'm I'm, I'm truly honoured, Craig. Um, I, I've made been made feel very humble uh, by by the recognition that they gave me and the recognition they gave Australian Speedway. Um, uh, I I was delighted to spend some time uh, with Donald Davidson, who I have got to know over the years. Um, And he and I did did have some wonderful discussion over the history of the Indianapolis 500. 
So, you, you know, for me, um, uh, for someone who um, at a very young age always wanted to get into speedway journalism and, and my parents, I owe it all to them, they took me to the Sydney showground in a bassinet when I was three weeks old <laughs> and, I've been going, and I've been going back to speedway meetings ever since, you know, that's how I look at it. So, so it's a culmination on a personal level of something that is pretty significant to me. Uh, I guess, as I said, it's 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 a bucket list um, box that's been ticked off now, um, and and I, I, I I'm even contemplating about going back again next year because uh, it it was just such a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's not self-adulation or self-indulgence. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not like that. But what I what I do feel is that they um, made me feel a part of their team, and 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 that was pretty special. Mm. You know, it really was. You know, Indianapolis um, calls itself the sporting capital of the world, and yeah. over the particularly the last two weeks of the month of May, it it has the uh, dubious distinction of hosting an amazing array of events perhaps not in Indianapolis itself and of course the the racetrack isn't even in Indianapolis it's in a town called Speedway which yeah, you know yeah. the city of Indianapolis has overtaken but uh, yeah, you also yeah. got to enjoy a number of the real stable events that make up oh, yeah. motor racing in Indiana and one of them at the fairground and a sad note too because I believe it's the last time the Indiana State yeah. Fairground um, dirt champ car mm-hmm. race was going to be held. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, very sad note that 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 uh, in 2019 was the 64th running and the final running uh, of the Hoosier Hundred. These Silver Crown cars are just—they're a bigger version for the benefit of the listeners. They are a bigger wheelbase, longer wheelbase, but in appearance. A bigger sprint car. That's exactly what they look like. Uh, they don't run wings. USAC doesn't run wings. Uh, these things are beasts on f- missiles, rocket ships on four wheels, whatever way you want to describe them. They are so fast, so exciting to watch on a mild dirt track. Um, Craig, I can tell you, they're hauling the mail down the back straightaway, I can tell you. Um, they are something something so spectacular. And I've got to tell you, um, the Hoosier 100 this year was marred by one of the most, if not the most spectacular crash I've ever, ever seen. The driver's name, Chris Winborn, was probably touching 150 mile an hour on the main straight when he blew a tire. Went into the fence and I mean, he enforended barrel roll the car probably 15 times. Um, it, it, it was an horrific crash and everyone feared for his safety and well-being. Miraculously, he stepped from the wreckage i wouldn't call it a car and walked unaided to the infield uh this was a a miraculous escape uh the the crash was horrific 
but it it just goes to show the 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 safety of these cars as well. Mm. I mean, the car the car was destroyed. You couldn't you couldn't salvage one anything. You couldn't salvage anything off the car. It was it was you just threw it in the rubbish bin as you left the track. You know, it was totally destroyed. The chassis was twisted like you wouldn't believe. You couldn't do a thing with the car. Um, and he had this remarkable escape, you know. Um, the race itself, apart from that, it was a great win by Tyler Courtney, who who stalked the leader, Kevin Thomas Jr., for 92 of the 100 laps he, he, he chased him and then made his move after a uh, yellow light on the restart with a beautiful outside pass in turn one. Now, Tyler Courtney, I had the opportunity to talk with him after the win, and he tells me um, he's uh, got a possibility uh, next uh, season here in Australia of racing uh, in Perth uh, for Daniel Harding. So that was interesting news, and... Uh, I have followed that up since I've been back, and it looks as though it may well happen. Uh, but the the hard luck man of the Hoosier Hundred was um, was Kevin Thomas Jr., who was almost inconsolable because he led for 92 of the 100 laps, and this was the final race. And you know, the last winner, you always remember they go into history. So he came within eight laps, but. I think his tyres started to go off because on the restart he, he, he never went he never went forward and 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 Tyler Courtney had the momentum and it all showed in turn one when Tyler Courtney went around the outside of Kevin Thomas Jr. After the race, Kevin Thomas Jr. was you 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 know, he was inconsolable. He was distraught, shattered, uh, moment in history as the last winner, lost forever. Now, you mentioned about this being the last race at the Indiana State Fairground. Well, it's very, very disappointing because of the, like a lot of Australian speedways, this venue is is host is, is owned or operated by their, their, what we would have here as the agricultural societies, their equivalent over there. And it just appears now that they've decided the use of the venue has got to change. They're, 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 they're getting rid of the dirt surface and putting putting like a pebble creek walkway right around the track or whatever. They're, they're, anyway, whatever they're doing, it means the Silver Crown cars cannot race there any longer after 64 running runnings of this great race, which which it, it, was, uh, it was a sad note, uh, really was, on the night. And I might add, the race was attended by a massive crowd, mm. uh, one of the biggest ever. Um, and, and the main straight grandstand, which is a massive grandstand, was full. So, you know, uh, a sad ending to a great venue. Uh, uh, another race that I had the privilege of seeing was the Little 500 at Anderson Speedway, which is just out of Indianapolis, Craig. This race is unique. It is very, very unique. I'm not sure if it's a more a, a novelty event or a, or a race. I can't decide. 
which is which. <laughs> it's on a fifth of a mile track with 33 starters in 11 rows of three, hence the name, the Little 500. The front runners are lapping the tail enders after four laps. Um, <laughs> you've got to see it to believe it. You know. But it's all part of the week of activity in Indianapolis. The USAC sprints ran at uh, Terre Haute Action Track on the Wednesday. Um, on the Thursday, uh, we, we, we had this great race at the Indiana State Fairground. Friday, you know, you had you had other events. The Indianapolis Raceway Park had a had a USAC event on. The Anderson Speedway had the Little 500. Um, you know, so much happening in the city of Indianapolis in that week leading up to the Indianapolis 500. The massive crowds, just on 300,000 at the Indianapolis 500 this year. Um, the, uh, I, I just want to tell you a little bit about the media centre that they've got there. It's a it's a magnificent uh, operation. This it's a four story building on the top floor is the radio station. S uh, third floor you you have the area for the journalists, which is a massive room. Um, they've they've got all the facilities, all the journos from around the world need. Uh, the other floor, the second floor, is the uh, restaurant that's provided by the Indianapolis Speedway for the media. All the meals, everything, it's all part of the the, the scene as uh, complimentary meals, everything, you know. Uh, the, the, the bottom floor is the administrative offices, et cetera. Um, it's a world-class media centre. I, I would say that it would rate right up there as probably the best in the world. I mean, the, the people who run it are geared up to help the world media. They do it with their own press service, providing information to the journalists. You know, they even provide quotes from the drivers already written up, you know. I mean, you, you, the, the, the facility is magnificent and made my job a lot easier. I, I had to report back here to the Sydney daily telegraph and also the sunday telegraph papers and um, i'm doing doing several articles and and i'm given all this literature of quotes from owners and drivers that they actually sourced i didn't actually source it that's that's the staff at the media center doing the job to provide the world media with up-to-date information now it doesn't get much better than this craig so it's a world-class facility as far as the media is concerned, you know, it's just brilliant. Um, and, and I might add, um, not having been there since 1992, uh, the, the, the facility, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway facility has greatly improved even further. They've, they've, they're, they're continually improving the ground and, and what they have there today is just fabulous. Um, and on race day, as I said, you get 300,000 people there. You, you, you know, it's the biggest single-day sporting event in the world. And, and from my own personal viewpoint, just to be a part of a small part of it on the media coverage via the Indy Radio Network was um, a privilege. It was an honour. I got to tell you, it really was. 
Well, Dennis, it's a it's great to catch up with you once again here on Inside Motorsport, and, and uh, of course, it's another IMS that you're always welcome on. Well, that's great, and and I always uh, appreciate the airtime that you give me, Craig, and and I'm delighted to uh, be a part of your show on this particular edition, and and relate. My, uh, not only my experience at the Indy 500, but just relate what the Indy 500 really is. It's, it's, it's got a great history, as we all know. And, you know, as time goes on, I just believe this race, it's, 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 it's hard to say it's going to get any bigger than what it already is and established over 103 running of the race, the Indy 500. But I think it is going to get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> One thing was for sure, Dennis, compared to 75, your first trip there, the day was a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, oh, the cars, the, the yeah, look, you know, the, the cars of today, uh, they run in the, the Indianapolis 500, just superb. Uh, it, it is a shorter race in the time span. I remember years ago in, in, in another lifetime they'd take three hours 20 minutes to run the race you know that doesn't happen that way anymore <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot quicker <laughs> yeah but anyway dennis a pleasure to have you on the show and look forward to speaking to you again very soon thanks very much craig that's all we have time for this week on inside motorsport until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.